and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome, welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we look at some spiritual lessons from the ancient church of Pergamum. Christ is the ultimate judge, and he will judge using scripture. Therefore, we should never minimize the Bible. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. How different the Bible is from a travelogue. Pick up a travelogue on ancient Pergamum or Pergamos, and you'd read assessments like, city named Citadel, on a thousand foot high hill, terrific sunsets, the former capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor for over 2.5 centuries, prominent religious center for many pagan cults, including emperor worship, home of a prestigious ancient university and its impressively large library, the leading center for the production of the world's first parchments. Pick up a Bible, on the other hand, and turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, and you read this. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Clearly, the resurrected and glorified Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. And what exactly is that sword? It is the word of God the scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments. Recall that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So this sword, this double two-edged sword in the hand of the risen Christ at Pergamum was the word of God, the scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments. Please notice next that according to Revelation 2.12, that the scriptures which the Lord Jesus wielded are one sharp, that is they cut, they separate, they judge, they defend, they attack, and two, they are double-edged. That is, they cut and separate two ways. They separate believers from the world and they separate sinners from God. Historically, this kind of a sharp and double-edged sword was large. It carried with it the empire's authority to execute. It was a life and death sword. Those who carried this sword in the Roman Empire had been delegated life and death power. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ has life and death power. He is the focus of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Put another way, the whole Bible is Christocentric. It centers in Christ. Back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, we read, And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. This sword, which stands for scripture, is said to have come out of Jesus Christ's mouth. This is because scripture is the word of God and Jesus is God, so that what comes out of his mouth is also the word of God. I just wonder, do we respect the Bible as we ought? Do we know that we only have our English translation of the Bible because there are persons like William Tyndale we're willing to die to give it to us? Listen to this. William Tyndale 
was born about 1493 and educated first at Oxford, where he was ordained into the priesthood, and then at Cambridge, where he joined the Reformation. When he completed his education, he felt he needed to get away from the academic atmosphere of the university to be able to think, pray, and study the Greek New Testament on his own. His solution was to take a job as a tutor for a wealthy family. During that time, he became convinced that England would never be evangelized using the Latin Bibles because it was, quote, impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except the scripture was laid before their eyes and in their mother tongue, end quote. However, Tyndale's efforts to get permission from the Bishop of London to translate the Bible into English were unsuccessful, so he left England never to return. Tyndale settled in Antwerp, where sympathetic English merchants hid and protected him as he translated the Greek New Testament and parts of the Hebrew Old Testament into English. His first English New Testament was printed in Germany in 1525. As Tyndale's English Bibles were smuggled into England, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of London began attacking him fiercely. Finally, on June 18, 1528, Thomas Wolsey, the English Cardinal, ordered the ambassador to the Low Counties to demand from the Low Counties Regiment that Tyndall be arrested and extradited to England. It took his pursuers seven years to track him down, but Tyndall was finally arrested near Brussels in 1535. He was held in a cold castle dungeon nearby for 18 months before his trial. A long list of charges was drawn up against him, and among them, he had maintained that faith alone justifies and that to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel was enough for salvation. Tyndale, in his early 40s, was found guilty at his trial and condemned to death as a heretic. Referring to the king's opposition to his English Bible, Tyndale said, quote, Lord, open the king of England's eyes, end quote. Then William Tyndale was strangled and his body burned. The year that Tyndale died, there were two English Bibles containing his translation of the New Testament circulating in England, awaiting the approval of King Henry VIII. When the first was presented to him, the king, not realizing it was Tyndale who had translated the New Testament, proclaimed, quote, in God's name, let it go abroad among the people, end quote. Two years later, the king directed that every church in England display, quote, one book of the whole Bible in English, end quote. Tyndale's dying prayer was answered. Tyndale's Bible translations were his lasting legacy. They were so well done that they make up 90% of the wordings of the King James Version published nearly 100 years later and 75% of the wordings of the Revised Standard Version of 1952. Yes, we only have the pleasure and the privilege of English Bibles in our hands because of men like Tyndale who are willing to die horrific deaths to translate that Bible for our benefit these centuries later. It seems as though, going back to Pergamum, it seems as though that it isn't just ancient Pergamum that needs a reminder that Christ is the ultimate judge, and Christ judges with scripture in his mouth and in his hand. Dr. Walt Kaiser would often pray, 
God deliver us from the current famine for the word of God. You know, we dare not get sucked into our Christless culture's minimization of the Bible. It sounds something like this. The Bible? Well, that's just men's interpretations. Oh, it's irrelevant. It's so narrow. It's cute. It's dogmatic. It's passe. It's powerless. There was a man who was in the attic of his house with a noose around his own neck, ready to commit suicide. He heard his doorbell ring, and he didn't know why, but he got out of the noose, and he went down to the door, and he answered. He didn't get there in time to greet the person who had rung his bell, but there was a, a tract, a gospel tract the person had left on his threshold. Despondent and desperate, he, he read the tract that spoke of Jesus' love and the blood of the cross and the hope of forgiveness of sin and a clear conscience, and he trusted Jesus to be his Savior. And instead of going back to the attic to kill himself, the Bible and the verses in that tract had saved his life, turned him around, made him a new person. The Bible is powerful, extremely powerful. The Bible is the sharp and double-edged sword that is in the risen Christ's mouth and in his hand. And it's Jesus the judge will wield the Bible in his judgments. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, and we are here for another edition of You Talk. And this morning we want to continue on talking about God view. And this morning we're talking about having a distorted God view. Again, we have been looking and, and talking about A.W. Toza's quote on what comes into our minds when we think about God. It's the most important thing to us. And I think that if we can grasp that and we can understand that the most important thing about God, and we think of God as being an awesome God and a great God, our whole country and our whole perspective and everything in our lives would change. But it's more I'm going to talk about having a distorted view. If we're all honest with ourselves, most of us have two primary beliefs about God. He wants me to be good, and He wants me to be happy. After all, it's what we strive to do and what we hope for. So surely God wants for us too, right? But life has a way of messing up with that God view. When things happen, we don't end up happy or the outcome isn't as good as we would expect. We can be left wondering whether God cares about us at all. As a result, our faith can be shaken. When the God view we have doesn't get us through and doesn't line up with the things that God has allowed to take place, we wonder if the goal isn't about being good or being happy at all. What if we have started to see as God is bigger than our wants, bigger than the control that we wish we had, and we see that God is in, in complete control and, and we see that exactly what he wants for us. You see, God's primary goal is not for us to be good. God's primary goal is not for us to be happy. But when we live with these as the ultimate goal and God does not deliver, our God view falls flat. You see, God's primary goal is to be God. We have to understand, again, as we looked at earlier, that God is in control of everything. He is sovereign. He is bigger than anything, and he doesn't just want us to be happy. In fact, when we consider the Christian life, and we consider just as we go through things in our own lives, it's, it's hard, it's messy, we suffer. In fact, if you read God's Word, you will see all through Scripture that suffering is something that is something that Christians will face. When we consider that on Jesus, as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even knew that we would suffer, that we'd be persecuted for our faith. And this is what he said to them. 
that we need to understand that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's not saying there, and we know blessed in some versions will say happy are those who are persecuted. In our own minds, we can't wrap our minds around that, that you are telling me that God wants me to be persecuted or he expects me to be persecuted. You see, we need to understand that we live in a, in a country like the Bahamas and we have the freedom of worship and we can don't have to worry about someone coming into our buildings and putting a gun to our head and, and deny God or I will kill you. We have to take that and say, you know what? What more can I do? As we know that there are places around the world that that happens on a regular basis. But we need to understand that as we consider that God wants me to not just be happy or he wants me just not to be good. Because I think that we live in this circle where in our own Christian lives or even for some people, you may be listening this morning, you may say to yourself, but Pastor Nicholas, I'm a good person because I don't drink, I don't smoke, uh, I haven't had sex before marriage, um, I plan to keep myself pure, and that's what I'm going to go on to get to heaven. You see, that is a distorted view of what God has for your life because I think that we even have put that in the church today that sometimes we think that, oh, once a person isn't doing these things, that's a pretty good person. But it's so much more than that. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship about with the God of this universe that has paid the price for our sins. Not just so that we be good or we are morally right in, in the, what the world thinks are morally wrong things. Even John the Baptist in Matthew 11, it says this, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their city. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who has come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers and cleanse, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, we need to understand that Jesus, as he came to this earth, his message was offensive to people. The gospel message is offensive because when we consider, people do not like to be told that they need to change different things in their life, the lifestyle they are living. No one likes to be told that. But when we consider our relationship with God, and we consider that we are here to bring honor and glory to God, that changes our whole perspective. That changes our whole God view. That distortion, it needs to become clear. You know, I'm sure if any of you are listening this morning, if you've ever went to, for an eye test, the worst thing is when they, are, they have you in that room and they have your eyes and, and they tell you which one is clearer, this one or that one, and in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, they look exactly the same. But you just choose one and say, well, that one was clearer than this one. It's a distorted view because the pressure is there and, and you want to get what's right because you want to make sure you get the right prescription for that. It comes the same way in our, in our relationship with God, in our walk with God, that we need not have that distorted view of that God just wants to be happy, that I just need to just do these things to bring honor just to so I won't, you know, offend somebody. But the gospel is going to be offensive. As you tell your friends about Jesus Christ, they're going to say stuff to you. They might talk about you. And again, we don't have that persecution that we talk about someone putting a gun to your head. But we do have persecution where you and your schools will not tell us about Christ because people laugh at you. Or you won't talk to someone in your workplace because you don't want them to think something about you. 
But we need to understand that this God, that we need to get the lenses, that we need to have this God view, that we need to be clear and know exactly what God has for us. And we consider this, we need to learn to follow a God who is bigger than our expectations. And when I say that, I'm talking about we expect God to do this for me. And if he doesn't deliver, then that can't be, you know, you know, that just can't be right because God has to deliver everything that I want. No, it's not. God delivers what he wants for our lives. God shows us things in our lives that, that we may want, but he doesn't want for us. You see, the times when life seems the most out of control are the times when we need the most accurate view of God. Let me read that again. The time when life seems the most out of control are the times when we need the most accurate view of God. You see, because when we view this big God and we have an accurate view of God and, time, and, and things around us are out of control, then we know that there's a purpose for what we're going through. We know that God is there with us. He has a, He promised in the word he'll never leave us or forsake us. He is walking with us through this problem. He is with us always. And I think that as a, a believer and as a, a person this morning, as you're listening, as, as you could think of as a young person, you know, there are, there are times in your life when you're going to make some decisions that you may feel are right, but it doesn't work out. Or maybe that's God closing a door for that particular thing. But remember this, that he may open another door for you to walk through. But you need to be in his word. You need to be seeking after him and asking God, God, what is it that you have for my life? What do you want me to do? And I think that when we consider that and we are in his word daily and we are seeking after him, our view of God just gets clearer and clearer of what he has for our lives. So again, I challenge you to be a constant student in his word and spend time with him to know exactly what God has and get the right lenses because he wants you to see a clear view of him. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas and you've been listening to You Talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, this morning I'm grateful to have in the radio studio with me, Dr. Marlene Heiler. Good morning. Good morning. God has used Dr. Heiler to co-found the New Providence Classical School in Nassau. And she is also a trained professional Christian counselor. And she's just an easy person to talk to, too. Uh, and I appreciate that. This morning, we want to talk about some common counseling issues that uh, you would do well to speak to because of your experience. And I'm just wondering, what would you say are the top two issues which you see being presented to you as a professional Christian counselor? Marriage issues. Yes. And I have a collection under that. Okay. <laughs> and Christians who are not walking in fullness they're not living out and experiencing all that God intended. So on one umbrella is marriage-related problems, and the other is the, the believer who isn't um, understanding who they are in Christ and isn't appropriating that. Exactly. Uh, um, marriage is not surprisingly a topic because, of course, um, God is the one who invented marriage, and he invented it for us to know oneness as married people, but Satan's will, therefore, is aloneness. And when you get aloneness, there's a whole uh, variety of problems. Um, 
let me ask you this. Why uh, do you feel, from your uh, clinical point of view, uh, it, are the reasons that marriage is such a, a large uh title for problems you see and then secondly <laughs> why is this lacking to live out the christian life the second let's start with marriage marriage well in in marriage i see a lot of hurt unfulfilled expectations unresolved conflicts sometimes on my files after i've listened um, for a while, on my notes, I would put not bonded. It's, it's as if the two people never really, even it could be 20, 40 years later, mm. the two never really became one. Mm. And why um, this is showing up, one is that I feel as if people aren't as prepared for marriage. Sometimes once the couple gets engaged, there's a big focus on the wedding and more preparation for the wedding than it is to marriage. One time I had a client, I've had two counseling situations where I wanted to give the person back their money. I felt as if mm. it was such an honor to be there, I needed to pay them. Mm. And one was a gentleman who had gotten engaged, and from the moment he put the ring on the girl's finger, she had taken off with the wedding, and she said she had forgotten him. Mm-hmm. And he came in to process what was going on, and if this is something he needed to pursue. I was so impressed. Yes, Wow. As I think it was Florence Litauer has written, after every wedding comes a marriage. A marriage. And, <laughs> and so a lot of what's going on is lack of preparation. An- mm-hmm. Another um, point, major point is there's a, even Christians getting married fail to realize, and maybe they don't get this in their marriage counseling, that marriage is a covenant. Yes. Even even ungodly marriage because God instituted marriage. So even if you're not saved and you're entering marriage, you're entering God's territory. And um, God's design for marriage is that it's a covenant and not a contract. Yes. And the difference with a covenant and contract is, you know, with a contract, it's if you complete these services or fulfill this commitment, then I will follow through with thus. Yes. And with a covenant... It is one, it's not 50-50, it's 100%, 100%. I'm giving all. So even if you do not fulfill your part of the commitment in a covenant, no matter how crazy I act, what a fool I am, God still loves me unconditionally. And a covenant, you love unconditionally, regardless of the person's performance, the other person's performance. That is so key. I'm so glad you mentioned that, that uh, in marriage, it's not a contract 50-50. It's a covenant 100-100. That is very helpful, very helpful indeed. Would there there be any other things that you'd like to mention concerning uh, the problems within marriage that you see? Well, marriage is more than feelings. And I'll even go back further. Normally, as I'm listening to a couple, I can ask them, and if I, to think back for the first time in this relationship or in this marriage, when you realize that this marriage was more than you intended, Mm. this is more than I expected. And sometimes if you trace that back, for some people it happened on the honeymoon. Yes. Sometimes on the honeymoon, one partner 
is an adventurer mm -hmm. and they want to explore. We paid for this. They want to <laughs> see everything and they're going everywhere. They want to go everywhere. And sometimes the other is a homebody and they just want to experience your presence. Let's just be still. They don't mind if they don't see a hundred things on the honeymoon. And sometimes you can go back to the honeymoon when woundedness occurred that was never dealt with. Wow. And so... For the rest of the marriage, and some people said it's the day when they got back from the honeymoon. Like one partner has to go back to work and you it's not time for you to go to back to work yet. And as you, you're in the shower or as you're getting ready for your day, you realize, wow, I didn't know it would be like this. Well, sometimes you need to go for backwards in order to go forwards. Mm, you need to go true. back to deal with the unresolved conflict. A uh, major thing in marriage, too, that starts when you're dating is walls of deceit that you build up over the years. Walls of deceit. Henry Brand taught me that many years ago, an old, one of the fathers of Christian counseling. And so when you're dating, you're out, you honestly feel, if you're the girl, you honestly feel like eating steak tonight. You want steak, you <laughs> want sushi, you want lobster. But the man can't afford steak, sushi, and lobster. So he says, where do you want to go? <laughs> and so you're not honest. You said, okay, we can go to McDonald's. Well, that was a lie. And sometimes the marriage or the relationship is built on lies. And over the years, so that was one block. And then you put another block and another block, and you build, and years ago, I think I was only 19 and in college when I saw this cartoon, and I never saved it, but the couple, they're in bed, and there's this wall up between them, and just one row of blocks that need, needed to be added. Oh, boy. So you, you have all of this unresolved stuff going on, and sometimes in, in therapy, we call it gunny sacking. You just can't take it anymore, and you just hit the person over the head with this sack fill the things that's unresolved or lies and that needs to be unpacked and sometimes you need a professional counselor or you need to go to your pastor and sometimes we need to unpack that and I would also say that there are lots of positives it's the reason why you married this person yes and sometimes all of those negatives the unresolved things the lies overshadow the positives and sometimes you need to take a step back and remember why you married this person and remember some of the positives. That's that's very helpful. All of what you've shared, Dr. Hyla, we appreciate it. I know that uh, my mother always taught me that tell the truth and then you don't have to remember what you said. And the flip side of that truth is when we do lie or build that wall of deceit, as you put it, then it's so easy and oftentimes we think necessary to keep lying to cover ourselves yes. and uh, that's that's a big problem you've been listening to echoes of calvary a radio ministry of calvary bible church nassau bahamas our morning worship services are at 8 a.m and 11 a.m in our sanctuary located on collins avenue we encourage you to join us Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, 
everyone needs a savior.